Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Coach, where we discuss college opportunities and cultivating habits. I'm Saxony. I'm Avalon. And I'm Katie. And we are your academic peer coaches. Joining us today is academic advisor Jesus Garcia. Jesus, would you like to introduce yourself to our listeners? Yeah, thank you all for having me. My name is Jesus Garcia. I like to say that you can pronounce that one of three ways. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Fine with all of the above. I've been at Weber since 2014, where I got my Bachelor's of Science in Social Work. I'm finishing up my Master's of Professional Communication program here. And I've been professionally working at Weber State since 2019. And since June, I've been the newest addition to the academic advisor team in the College of Science. Wow. Thank you so much for being here. Jesus is, is joining us today to discuss an interesting topic, design thinking. Jesus, could you explain what design thinking is? Yeah. In a nutshell, it's a creative problem-solving methodology that can be used to help people get through this process of getting unstuck when they're facing these big, complex problems in life. The methodology is overall their tools, techniques, and mindsets that are used to find solutions to wicked problems, and some of those wicked, complex problems are ones that just don't have a clear, simple solution. Some examples of wicked problems would include poverty, homelessness, racism, climate change. There's no one clear solution to that. So how do we get started just addressing that topic, that issue with design thinking? That is really interesting. Can you tell us a little bit more about how you know so much about this methodology? Yeah. Prior to this new position that I'm working with in the College of Science, I was working with a program called Wildcat Scholars, where basically students with developmental placements in English and math are placed into this learning community, where they share the same group of classes with a maximum of 20 students in each one of those classes, with the overall goal just to build this support system where they can just finish up English and math requirements for general education within two semesters so they can just get on with their major. One of the classes that they could potentially take in that learning community is a class called Designer Weber, and that is one that I've taught for the past two semesters. And I actually do plan to teach in the fall 2023 semester with your coordinator, Mackenzie, co-teaching with Mackenzie. Yeah, the overall methodology of design thinking comes from Stanford University, and they do a really cool life design lab where it's a virtual four-day-long conference, and it's just an intensive training that allows us to live through this methodology ourselves before we start actually teaching it to others. Then we're connected to this community with higher education professionals across the U.S. just to support each other. And so Tulane University, they created a class based off this design thinking methodology called Tailor Your Tulane, and they were very generous in providing us with those materials so we could kind of replicate that with our own Design Your Weber course. And so I'll be teaching it for three semesters, and that's kind of how I came to build this knowledge base about design thinking. Wow, that was so cool getting to hear about the history of how design thinking made its way to Weber. Can you explain what the design thinking process looks like? Yeah, overall, the process is a series of six different phases. Accept, empathize, define, ideate, prototype, and test. Okay, so can you take us through those phases a little bit more? Yeah. The most important thing is to understand that this is not just a step-by-step process. It's a cyclical process where you can really just jump wherever you want to in this process. But the very first one is accept, and that's just radically accepting where you are in life. The past is gone. The future is unknown. There's no way to actually plan for what that future end goal is going to be. So the best places to start is just in the present right now. Acknowledge that your experiences, beliefs, and overall knowledge you bring to the table is all valuable and have shaped you to be who you are today. The second phase was to empathize, and that means empathizing with your own experiences, but also empathizing with the experiences of others. Because in order to design your life, you do have to incorporate some radical collaboration where you get the input from other people. So in order to effectively do that, you do need to be able to understand and empathize with others' experiences. 
Define is the third phase, and that's probably my favorite one because oftentimes it coincides with the ideation phase, which is the fourth phase. Oftentimes when we're in this planning type of mindset, we just jump straight to the ideation phase. And this is where we start coming up with all the potential different solutions to one problem. And sometimes we come up with like a dozen different potential solutions, right? But then only two or three of them are actually really valuable ones that are actually going to address the main concern. That's because most times we don't go through this define phase where we really dig a little bit deeper and get to understand what the root problem is that we're actually trying to solve. Is it really that we're trying to solve like, what do I want to major in? What do I want to do in life? Or is it like, why am I so concerned with the opinions of family members, of friends who are pressuring me to do this? What is the root issue? And that's kind of digging deeper with that defined phase. And that defined phase will help narrow the frames that we're working with to ideate the potential viable solutions. The fifth phase is prototyping, and that's all about building real-world experiences to try out some of the potential solutions that were created in that ideation phase. And testing is basically the ultimate reflection phase. If you were to take one single problem through these five prior steps, then you can just reflect and see, how did I feel about this process? How did I feel about this issue? Did I get the answers that I was really looking for? What did I like? What did I dislike? How can I pivot to make sure that I can get the right answers that I'm really looking for? You can jump back to another phase if you need to. If you're coming up with too many potential solutions, then maybe it's a good idea to revisit that defining phase or that accepting phase. But overall, yes, accept, empathize, define, ideate, prototype, and test. Most of those phases make quite a bit of sense, but I'm still a bit confused about prototyping. Could you elaborate more on that? Yeah. So prototyping are just real-world experiences where you get to try some things out from that ideation phase. These can look like conversations or experiences. But the main point of a prototype is to overall protect your resources and your time and your energy. So for an example, brand new student, first time student, just saying that I'm going to major in nursing because that's what I've always expected to do, what's been expected of me, what I've planned to do for my entire life. How can that student protect their resources rather than committing long term to a nursing major and then realizing three years down the road, that's actually not what I want to do, right? Prototyping, so you can have those conversations or experiences. Conversations can look like talking to a nurse, doing a little informational interviews with someone who has been in the field for like 10 years or so to really get a good idea of what that looks like for them. It can look like talking to an academic advisor like myself, but specifically in the College of Health Professions. A conversation can look like talking to a career counselor and just overall understanding what that field is going to be like without actually experiencing it. The second type of prototyping is an experience. So that can be either shadowing the nurse, joining a club, getting a CNA license, something like that, where you're actually living and practicing that before committing to it long term. But we like to say that a prototype is a success when you learn from it. Usually people would refer to a prototype as a failure if, let's just say, you decide at the end of this like prototype that nursing isn't what I want to do anymore. That's usually what people would call a failed experience, a failed prototype. But it's all about reframing that the role that that plays, that failed experience. Is it really a failure or is it a success? Because, again, you're saving your time and resources instead of being three years down the road. You're finding out early on in your college career that, no, this isn't what I want to do. Right? So it's about reframing that role of a failure. So you're saying we should be making mistakes? Absolutely. 100%. Yes and no. Again, it's all about that reframing. Like I mentioned, like, is it a failed prototype or is it really you protecting your assets and your energy and your time? If we do decide that we want to keep this concept of failure because that's what, kind of what we're used to, I just like to reframe that role of failing 
and use it as an acronym that a fail is a first attempt in learning. And regardless, you are still learning from it and you're still using the experiences that you gain from that prototype to inform your future decision-making skills. Yeah, I think that's really powerful. And I'd like to stay on the topic a little bit longer because I think a lot of people struggle with the concept of failure and accepting failure. How do you recommend we navigate this process so we're not scared of making mistakes, but we embrace them? Yeah, that fear of failure, fear of mistakes can lead to paralyzation where you just don't even do anything. And then you're still at that same point of, I haven't gotten any information because I haven't tried anything out because I'm scared to do this. And so it does take a lot of time and effort to practice this. And I'm not going to say that practice makes perfect, but more so that practice makes permanent. So the more that you're able to practice these life design processes and these life design mindsets of reframing, then then that can help you at least get started. But there are overall a few mindsets that do kind of help guide us through this process of design thinking, where the big one we've been talking about is reframing. Another one is radical collaboration, where you get to work with others from different backgrounds, experiences, different majors, different ideologies, beliefs, and you're just there kind of informing each other just on your own experiences to kind of help you get unstuck. Another one is curiosity, just being curious and asking that kindergarten question of why. Why is this the case? Why do we normally do this? Mindfulness of process is another mindset and just recognizing how we feel in the moment and why we feel the way that we do. Why is it that I'm scared of failure? What in my life has led me to perceive this as like, I shouldn't even try it because I have the potential to fail, right? Just digging a little deeper and being mindful of how you feel. But overall, the heart of design thinking mindsets is this bias towards action. If anything, you just want to do something so that you can at least get started. So take this idea of like, let's just say a first time student is in an English class and they're stressing about a five page essay because maybe that's not what they're used to in high school. And so they just don't even do the assignment at all. They don't submit the assignment and they get a zero on that, right? Bias towards action would just say, submit what you've done. So that way the instructor can at least say, you know, I know you didn't finish, but you started that introduction. You started the first few paragraphs of the body. And here's the feedback that I have for you right now so that you can pivot and just continue to get started. So bias towards action is kind of that heart of design thinking. So earlier you mentioned the term wicked problem, and I've heard a little bit about design thinking and the term wicked problem, but I'd like you to maybe dive a little bit deeper into what that means. Yeah. Wicked problems are just those big complex solutions that just don't have one clear, simple solution, kind of like those racism examples, sexism climate change, homelessness, poverty. How do we fix all that? How do we fix the medical system, the, health, the insurance healthcare system? No one clear solution. But the biggest thing that we want students, everyone to understand is that our lives are wicked problems. There's no one clear way to live your life. Just this design thinking mindset can help you navigate those wicked problems. I like how you mentioned how our lives can be wicked problems. Does that mean that design thinking can be used outside of just academics? Yeah, absolutely. You can take any single problem that you're experiencing in life, whether that is academic related, personal related, relationships, work related, anything at all through this process of design thinking. Because again, you're going through all those phases of accepting where you are, empathizing with yourself and others who are involved in that issue, in that problem, defining what the root issue of that problem is, ideating, prototyping, and testing. And I think that is just very beneficial to take any problem that you have in life through this process. Yeah, that's a lot of really good information. I wonder, though, out of all the methodologies that are out there, why should students use design thinking strategies than others? Yeah, I think 
overall, just in life, we've been conditioned. We've learned that planning is the overall way to go. But planning is really where you get stuck and you get paralyzed just by whether it's procrastination or that fear of failure. But with design thinking, we want to emphasize that it's not about that end goal necessarily. It's about taking these steps to let your journey unfold as it comes and however you experience that. And when you do get stuck, that it's not the end of the road, but that there are ways that you can pivot to get unstuck. And so we just want students to embrace this design thinking methodology just so that they can really see how applicable it can be in their lives. So earlier in the episode, you mentioned that you teach a course on design thinking. Is this available to any students across campus? The Design Your Weber class right now, it is exclusively for Wildcat Scholar students because we are grant funded. And when we were developing this course, some grants paid for development of that course. In the future, that may be more open to general students to take if they'd like to. Wildcat Scholars, it's a two-semester program where in that first semester they do design your Weber or a variation of a first-year class, like either a first-year experience or intro to health careers and things like that. In that second semester, they would take a class that's called design your life. And that is also an option for them to, to continue on just to see how you can apply this beyond just academics. But for right now, yes, it is reserved for Wildcat Scholar students, but we hope in the future that it will be available for all students. That's awesome. This has been such interesting information, and thank you so much for joining us today, Jesus. I feel like I've learned a lot. I'm speaking for others and saying that we've all learned a lot about design thinking. For those that are listening, if you want to learn more, check out the resources we have included in the show notes. We'll end this episode with a quote from best-selling author Christine Carlson. The key to enjoying the journey is being open to the unknown. Catch you later, Wildcats.